Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. How's everyone doing today? Good. It's good to see you. I'm so happy you're here with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. That was a joke. That's okay. Sarcasm is like my second language, so sometimes it comes out a little bit. Um, We've just got this beautiful, beautiful weather today. I hope you're all enjoying it. Um, It's a little warmer, which is good. Hey, just a couple quick announcements that I'd like to share with you before we continue this morning. First, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here at the Plant Church in West Milford. It's really good to have you. If you are new, if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, I I would love to encourage you. Bob in the back, wave. See Bob back there. We have a gift for you. If Bob didn't give you a gift on the way in, we would love to just say welcome uh, through a small gift. And also, if if you're new or if you've been with us for a little while and you want to get more connected, There's a Connect card uh, in the seat in front of you. It's a great opportunity uh, to just fill that out, and we can get a little bit of information from you, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, There's ways for you to find out about different events and and groups and ways that you can be connected to the life of our church through that. Um, A couple quick things that I do just want to highlight in terms of the life of our church. Easter is in two weeks. Who's excited for Easter? We are doing a huge Easter community outreach Uh, for families in our community here. Um, So we're in need of two things. If you have kids and you want to bring them to an awesome Easter family celebration, Easter egg hunt, crafts, like breakfast, everything, uh, then bring your kids, invite friends that you know in your neighborhoods that have kids, bring them out. But also, we're inviting our whole church to serve with us that morning uh, as we uh, provide this outreach opportunity for families all over West Milford. Our goal is to reach 80 to 100 different families uh, and, and individuals through through this, uh, this time together and, and to just give them the opportunity to experience the hope of Jesus. So if you want to come sign up, bring your kids to enjoy the event. If you want to invite your friends, neighbors that have kids, if you want to serve that morning, um, then Trudy, you got the clipboard. Trudy's here in the middle. She's got a clipboard to sign up to serve. You can sign up to bring your kids on our website at theplantchurch.org slash events. And you can find a sign up there for that. And then also, I just want to make mention of this related to Easter morning. Um, If you don't have kids or anything like that, uh, never fear. There's still uh, an Easter Sunday morning worship gathering at 1030. We have about 50 or so of these invite cards out on the table in the lobby. And if you have a few friends, neighbors, people that you're like, you've been talking about church with, or they've got questions about faith, um, this is a great opportunity to invite them to join us to service. And you can grab uh, some of those cards out in the lobby and, and invite your friends uh, to come join us for Easter Sunday. All right, uh, I'd love to, to get into our, our message for this morning. We're continuing our series that we've been doing through the Lent season leading up to Easter called Christ Our King. And we've been reflecting on uh, different aspects of Jesus as our King. We talked about his humanity, his power and authority. Uh, last week we talked about his compassion. And this morning we're going to talk about Christ's humility. Uh, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. So if you're one of those people who likes to follow along in their Bible or on their iPad or something like that, uh, you can go ahead and, uh, and follow along there. And if I could just get my slides up on the screen here, um, and then we'll jump in. Um, 
here's how I want to start this morning. Um, how many of you have ever had a job uh, that was absolutely terrible? Like a few of you. I'm kind of surprised more hands aren't going up. We've got to see. And how many, we'll take it a step further. How many of you had a terrible job because, to be brutally honest, you had a terrible boss? Oh, man, we've got some terrible bosses. Isn't there a movie called, like, Terrible Bosses or something like that? Uh, Horrible Bosses? Yeah, something like that. I've never seen it, but it's probably about what it is. And they've just created a toxic work environment. It's miserable. Maybe even the work isn't half bad, but just because of the way they are, maybe they're really controlling. It's like Michael Scott on steroids or something, if you know The Office. Uh, But but it's just like a miserable place to be because the person's domineering. uh, They're controlling. They're really not respecting of your boundaries. They're asking inappropriate uh, overtime kind of things. And I'm not even talking about... You know, some, uh, some bosses and stuff who get into harassment allegations and all sorts. I'm not even talking about things like that that are illegal or unethical. They're, they're just, just downright, like, miserable kind of people to work for. You've been in those kinds of places? I, I, I had a, a job like that before I was in full-time, uh, working vocationally in full-time ministry, um, and uh, I worked there for many years. We actually provided, it was a nonprofit. We provided service for people with developmental disabilities. And the work was amazing. Um, but the people that I worked for, my, my bosses, were terrible. Uh, they made the work not rewarding. And have you ever been in a job, like even some of you maybe who've worked in the social work field or any kind of public service like that, um, you, uh, unfortunately, those places are, are prone to this kind of work environment, right, where uh, the stuff we're doing to help people's great, and so my boss uses that as their reason that they can tell me to do whatever they want, even if it's unreasonable. You ever experienced something like that? So I experienced that kind of thing. And man, that made for a miserable work environment. And what was worse is I was working part-time at a church at that time. It was when I was first out of college. And, 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 I'm, and I would carry a lot of the bad leadership lessons that I learned there into what I did in ministry. And I would just kind of perpetuate the same problems. If they're going to ask me to to do things that were crazy and they were not going to respect my boundaries, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I was just kind of naturally going, we got to get this done. And I was asking people to do things that were just crazy and not respecting their boundaries. Do you ever find yourself in that situation and you like kind of take out the same thing on other people? Like, I'm in this toxic work environment and maybe you're a supervisor of other people. And so you just like, hey, I'm getting all this kind of pressure, so I'm dumping the pressure on you too. And we just kind of perpetuate those kinds of things. And unfortunately, all of those kinds of work environments and, and, and the ways we've seen bad leadership work in our lives, we kind of bring that into the church, Right? Like I was saying, not even just in a paid role, but every one of us kind of bring those assumptions about how leadership works, how influence works, how authority works, and we bring that into the church. And, and the church, you can just look on the news lately, the church is not immune from bad leadership, right? We can go on about how the Catholic Church has been embroiled in the news for decades. Uh, There was something recently about 
the um, indigenous people groups in Canada and, and the Pope apologizing for the church's treatment there. This isn't just a Catholic thing, though. It's a Protestant thing. It's an evangelical thing. There's all sorts of mega church pastors and small church pastors. Those don't make the news as much. But just as many small church pastors and mega church pastors that are uh, resigning because of abuse allegations, overstepping their authority, uh, controlling, manipulative. There's all sorts of podcast series out about that kind of thing right now if you dabble in, the, in that kind of thing. Uh, there's all sorts of places within the church where we've just kind of imported all of those bad ways of doing leadership and influencing people and we've just brought it into the church, right? Anyone ever experienced that in the church? It's pretty bad. It's, it's like almost worse in the church. It's like the, the prophets in the Old Testament would tell Israel, you guys were enslaved, you guys were treated miserably, you were marginalized, and now that you have the power, you're not only doing all the things that were done to you, you're doing things that your neighbors around you wouldn't even dream of doing. They like made it worse. And now I feel like the church is kind of doing the same thing in a lot of ways. It's like, man, the world wouldn't even come up with that. That's really messed up. And they pay a lot better. That's a joke, guys. Don't worry. But you hear what I'm saying. So we import all of these bad models of influence and leadership into the church. And then I think we get, a lot of times we get a little worried. Like, I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to go do my church thing. I'm going to keep that compartment in that box over there. And I'm just going to try and, like, put my head down in the rest of my life. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're kind of embarrassed about any idea of influence or leadership a lot of times, or we kind of keep the church thing over here and this over there because we've just seen too many bad, bad examples of it going. And, and we just try and keep that on the down low even maybe that we're a Christian sometimes because I'm like, I don't want to offend anyone. People have been hurt enough. And, and I get that, and, and, and I think there's, there's a part of me that like, does the same thing because you know I, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. But, but I, I have to go back to uh, what the scriptures say and the way we've talked about this all through this series, the way we were meant to live as humans from Genesis and the way the story ends in the book of Revelation, it, it, it talks about how God made humans to be people who influence the world who lead the world. The, the term you see come up in the Bible in the English translations a lot is ruling and reigning. That, that's how it was supposed to start in the book of Genesis. And the way the story ends is God and his people together and we're ruling and reigning on the earth forever with him. But the thing about it is, is we have so many weird ideas because of our world. We have so many, and sin in the world. We have so many weird ideas about what ruling and reigning and influencing and having power and control and what that looks like. And, and, and we've got all these bad models and bad examples of it. And so we miss the actual calling that God has given and designed us all for to influence and lead. So here, here's what I want you to walk away with and remember today. If you don't remember another word I say, because I know, I get it, I grew up in the church, I know how it is some Sundays where you're like, what is he talking about? So if you remember nothing else this morning, I want you to remember this. When we walk in the humility of Jesus Christ, we get to influence like Jesus Christ. When we walk in the humility of Jesus, we get to influence like Jesus. We get to lead like Jesus. We get to rule and reign like Jesus. But it starts by walking in humility, and that's what I want us to unpack today. So let's read together Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, and let's see how we walk in humility and get to lead like Jesus. 
Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. That's probably because they didn't think of it first. But Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, with your words ringing in our ears, that you came to serve, not to be served. I just pray, Lord, that even that would just start a, a, a adjustment of our posture in our heart and in our lives. And I ask Jesus that you would do a, a rethinking work, a reframing work, an unlearning work in us today. And that we would receive the way you've called us to walk in humility, to influence and lead like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, when we walk in humility, when we walk in the humility of Jesus Christ, we get to influence, we get to lead like Jesus Christ. And I want to just make three observations about what it looks like to walk in humility, what we do when we walk in humility this morning, and, and what that has to do with leading like Jesus. So Jesus says to them, listen, who, whoever is, is, wants to be the greatest, you've got to be the slave of everyone else. Whoever wants to be first, you need to be last. That's the exact opposite of Ricky Bobby, by the way. Anyone has seen that movie? Never mind. I'm going, to walk. I'm going to move on quickly from there. But if he says, if you're not first, you're last, right? But this is very much not the way Jesus sees things. If you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be everyone else's slave. How many of us love following Jesus when he says those words? <laughs> I'm ready, Jesus. Make me everyone else's slave and servant. This is good. That sounds horrible, let's be honest. It goes against everything we want in us, but it is this way of walking in the same humility that Christ walked in that is gonna lead us into greatness, into great leadership, into influence, just like Jesus. So let's look at these three observations. First, walking in Christ's humility means removing our bad models of influence and leadership. We've got to remove the bad models. We have to unlearn all of the bad ways we've learned to influence and lead other people. He says, the rulers of this world lord it over their people. How many of you had a boss lord over them, or lord over you, or flaunt over you their authority? 
I'm going to tell you like it is. It is my way or the highway because I'm in charge. Or they get controlling and and manipulative. And and there's two ways we generally see uh, uh, examples of bad, bad leadership, bad authority play out. And the first one is pretty obvious. People flaunting their authority. This is what we usually think of when we think about having a terrible boss or or, or a terrible leader that that we're following. Um, It's the obvious stuff. It could be a little on the subversive side. They're controlling or manipulative. Maybe they say, well, you know, if you really cared about this company, you would manipulation. If you really cared about the mission of this church, you would, you know, if you don't do this, then a lot of manipulative kind of of language. Uh, Or it could just be straight up coercive and violent. There's constantly stories in the news of coercive, uh, violent work environments, harassment uh, suits being filed, all sorts of things happening where people are being threatened to do exactly what someone in charge wants them to do. That's flaunting authority. It's pretty obvious to us in a lot of cases, uh, and, and it should go without saying, but this is unbiblical. This is not how Jesus wants people to lead. I'm going to just be Captain Obvious for a minute and, state, and point that out, right? Can we all agree to that? Amen? This is not how Jesus wants us to lead. But there's another way of leadership uh, that we fall into the trap of a lot more, especially in the church and, and even in the greater culture. And, and that's the kind of bad model of, of leadership that's actually false humility. What's false humility? Well, it's fake humility. It's humility where you're humble without being humble. It's like... It's like when, when someone asks, well, what are your three of your greatest attributes? And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm the most humble person. I am so humble, in fact, you will never find anyone more humble than I am. That's like the, the obvious example of false humility, right? But it actually presents itself in much more uh, uh, subversive, less obvious ways. The Pharisees were a great example of this, right? They loved letting everyone know that they were fasting. Look at me, everyone. I am fasting, Look at me, I am following, I am sacrificing for Jesus. Look at how great I am because I'm sacrificing for Jesus. False humility. They would pray publicly. They wanted everyone to know what they were thinking and doing. Uh, Actually, another example of this is Martha. Are you familiar with the story of Mary and Martha? Uh, And and Jesus was in their home. They were hosting them. And Mary's sitting there. She's sitting at the teacher's feet, learning from him. Uh, And Martha, it says that she was busy and worried about everything going on in the kitchen. And she was demanding, she wasn't just trying to be a good host, because being hospitable is awesome, and it's a wonderful serving, serving thing to do. And, and a lot of times we look and go, Mary, just get up and help her. But we see Martha's heart come out when she says, when she begins to ask Jesus, hey, don't you care that I'm doing all the work in there and Mary's just in here? She wanted credit. She, she was looking for some kind of recognition. It was false humility. A lot of times I find myself falling into this trap, and a lot of times we in the church fall into this trap, that we let our service to the church, to the community, whatever it is, we let it come and be motivated from our brokenness. Our need to be needed, our need to be wanted, our need to prove how great we are or how much we're following Jesus or whatever. And a lot of times our service is really, really unhealthy because it's not actually coming from a place of love. It's coming from a place of selfishness. And it's really tricky. Like, am I doing this for good motives? What are my motives? Our motives actually matter, right? It doesn't matter just what we do. It matters why and how we're doing it. 
So these are different models to consider. False humility, there's the obvious flaunting of authority. Those are a little more obvious to us, but we should take some time to reflect because we can do those in small ways, in nuanced ways, in simple ways, even in influencing and leading our family. Do we lord over our children that we're in charge of them? Do we, do we lord over people that we work with, our, our role? Do we, do we jostle for positions of importance and authority? And then on the, the less obvious side, do we walk in false humility? Do we do things so that we're liked? Do we serve because we need to be needed? And we just need to take some time to think and reflect, what are the bad models, bad ideas of leadership and influence that we have each taken on in our lives? So, so that's the first thing we need to do, is walking in Christ's humility means we need to remove our bad models of leadership and influence. But Jesus says, it will not be like this among you. What does Jesus call us to? Second, walking in Christ's humility means serving instead of being served. Serving instead of being served. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And this just gives me the opportunity to share one of my favorite memes ever. And if you don't get it, basically when you're serving, I don't even know if I like understand this totally, but like basically Jesus is like serving these guys, like meaning like he's going to give the best dance performance showdown. There's another version of this where like Jesus is like stuffing this little kid, like shooting a basket because you can use serve that way too. It's really funny. I, I, it's, I have a problem, guys. You can pray for me. Uh, but I just find this really funny and I just had to share that. But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To be served, excuse me, not to be served, but to serve. Um, Serving, like we were saying, the point isn't about getting our needs met. The point is about meeting the needs of others. The point is not about uh, getting what I need in a situation. It's about finding out what someone else needs, apart from any kind of... uh, benefit I might get from it. A lot of times, how many of you love to host people? Dinner parties, like you love to have people over, you just love to celebrate like that, right? And that's, that's a wonderful gifting. I enjoy when people love to like, you know, have me over. We love to have people over. We love to host things. But did you know that the word in the Bible that, that's used and translated as hospitality is not what we think of. We usually think of like entertaining, we usually think of, uh, you know, people that I like or, or that are important to me, that I perceive as important, and I want to create this wonderful place for them to come in, enjoy. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but that's not biblical hospitality. The word there in the Greek actually is the same word that we get. Uh, it's xeno, uh, I'm forgetting the second half of it, but xeno is, is the uh, term that's used for alien. It's where the term xenophobia comes from, like fear of people that are different. And, and to have hospitality literally means that you provide space for the people who are nothing like you and that are inconvenient to have in, in your midst and who you, you gain no, no, nothing to benefit from having them in your home. That's biblical hospitality. That's biblical hospitality. It, it is going out of your way to provide for people's needs that does not serve your needs in any way. Actually, it might be to your detriment, potentially, depending on who you have in your home. 
This is like Peter when he went to have a meal with Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Not a Jew, unclean food. God, how is this going to make me look? How are people going to perceive me? But he served in that moment. Sign me up for that because he's like, you can eat all this meat now. I'll serve God. But, but you hear what I'm saying. It's not about meeting our needs. It's about meeting the needs of other. And when it comes to church, sometimes uh, we do the same thing where, where we go, like, how can I uh, get myself in a good position here? Or how can I, maybe some of you don't think about that with church. Maybe you're like, I'm just showing up. I'm still trying to figure out what the heck's going on with this Bible and this Jesus thing. That's good. That's a good place to be. Um, but sometimes we get like, we, we try and import a lot of what we've learned in the world. How do I jockey for position? How do I be liked? How do I this and that? And, and we got to check those kinds of things because we're, we're not doing it for sacrificial reasons. We're not doing it to serve others. We're, we're doing it for our own self. You guys with me on that? I don't need to keep going on that. So it's really sacrificial to live like that, isn't it? Like meeting the needs of others at no benefit to yourself, maybe to your detriment. That's very sacrificial. I think about my, my daughters when I think about serving like this because um, when I am with my daughters, especially my three-year-old, because my eight-month-old isn't quite there yet with this, when I'm playing with my three-year-old and she wants me to play, I'm really good at like building blocks or coloring. Like It's a very concrete activity. I can do it with her. But most of the time, she wants to make up some imaginary game and some imaginary world. And her imagination is incredible. Little kids' imaginations are amazing. But I find myself struggling with being able to enter into her world and serve her well in that moment. I, I just, I'm going to be honest, I get bored. I'm not good at playing in that imaginary space like I used to be as a kid, right? And, and I have to work really hard to enter into her world and serve her and meet her needs and, and serve them well, not just meet my needs, which are I don't want to be bored right now, right? At least if I'm building blocks, I'm occupied with something. But she's got this incredible world that she's inviting me to enter into, and I've got to enter into that place, and that's how I can serve her. And, and if I don't spend time in that space, totally not getting, gaining anything from it, in the moment at least, I'm probably not going to have as much influence and leadership in her life in 15 years. Because I didn't just engage in that moment where she's at in her life. Doesn't mean I'm going to understand it. Doesn't mean that I'm going to think it's cool myself. But I'm just entering and engaging into her world. This is what Jesus did with us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He entered into our world. He entered into our context. He entered into our spaces. He entered into our cultures. He entered into our family situations. He entered into everything. And, and, and if God was anything like us, he'd be really bored. But he's not. He's engaged and he is present and he is there to serve you. And he has come to serve this world. And just as he is serving this world, he has called us to serve each other. Whose world do you have to enter to serve them well? Whose world are you being invited to enter to serve them well? What is God calling you to do? Is it painful? Sometimes boredom feels painful for some reason. 
Sometimes going out of your way feels painful. Maybe there's self-sacrifice involved. Maybe uh, it will damage your reputation with some people if you enter someone's world and are present to them to serve them. It can be painful. But this is what Jesus says about the pain. You don't know what you're asking. Right? They had no clue what they were getting into. You want to lead? You want to influence? You don't understand what you're asking. It's going to require you to drink of something really painful. If you want to serve and enter into the world of other people the way I have, it's not simple. It involves an incredible amount of self-sacrifice. It involves an incredible amount of suffering, and it's kind of painful. And then he says to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you are thanking Jesus for that? Thank you, Jesus. We're going to drink from the cup of your suffering. It gets better, I promise. This brings us to the third observation. Walking in Christ's humility means embracing humiliation to the point of suffering and death. He says, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. When you give yourself, when you serve, instead of being served, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. He's saying this to his his disciples. You know how the life of each of his 12 disciples ended? Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas was pierced through with four spears in India. Philip was cruelly killed in North Africa after he he converted and and led to Jesus, one of the the high Roman officials' wives there. Matthew was stabbed to death, most likely in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was also killed. James was stoned, and then just for good measure, he was clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot, he was killed after he was refused to sacrifice to the sun god of Persia. Only one, John, didn't die And he was exiled to a small, remote desert island in the Mediterranean. Not the vacation it actually sounded like. It was a prison colony. It was a work colony. I'm like, our Mediterranean island? I can do that. Sign me up, Jesus. It probably is a lot nicer to go there now. You will indeed drink from my bitter cup. Now, you and I might not literally be crucified. We might not literally experience physical persecution. Some might. Who knows? But there are ways that we are each called to die to ourselves every day and drink from this cup that Jesus is extending out to us. What Jesus essentially is saying here is that the path to leading, to leadership, and to influence in his kingdom is by being humiliated in this way. He's saying the path to leadership, you want to be the greatest, it's going to require that you sacrifice so much that you're humiliated, that you suffer, and that you experience and walk through pain that is death to self. Now, that's really hard for me because I prefer to avoid pain at all costs. We have these great numbing devices called our phones and Netflix and work 
and food and exercise and even our families sometimes can be a distraction and drugs and alcohol and sex and all kinds of other things and we use all of them to try and avoid pain and distract ourselves. It was Pete Scazzaro who, who says, we treat pain and loss like a foreign invader. Like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. My life is perfect. Why are you showing up in my life right now? You know what I'm talking about? Like something that disrupts what, we've, what we're comfortable with, especially in our culture, it can be really easy a lot of times to, to just get in the zone and be comfortable. And, and then loss and pain shows up, whether it's loss and pain from our past that's like popping up and we're forced to deal with it or it's something in our present time. And, and, and these instances force us to go, I'm either going to bury this and run from it or I've got to learn to follow Jesus and drink from the bitter cup of suffering. And when we avoid the pain, when we avoid the loss in our lives, some people call it a wall or a dark night of the soul. When we avoid trials like Job went through, where like in a single day he lost all of his kids, all of his wealth, and he lost his health almost to the point of death. When we hit seasons where everything just hits the fan, that's how I'm allowed to say it in church. Everything just goes wrong. You know what I'm talking about. I know everyone's experienced that. But if we avoid the cup of suffering that Jesus is extending to us in that time, if we avoid that, if we try and circumvent it, if we try and bury it, if we try and ignore it, we are ignoring our share in influence and leadership in his kingdom that he is calling each of us to. We are avoiding the slow burning away of the old self, the purifying of the old self. We are avoiding the path that actually leads us into humility. If you talk to someone who has experienced tremendous trauma, pain in their life, but they have walked through it with Jesus, they are some of the most peaceful people you will ever meet in your life. There is tremendous peace in walking this way of Jesus. Incredible wisdom, and these people have such love and compassion. And so when you're faced with these moments, you want to think of it as an opportunity to be humbled. That word humbled literally is humiliated. Humiliation is not our favorite thing to do. But it is through the humiliation, through the suffering, through the pain, we come out the other side with more love for people, more compassion, more patience, more peace, more joy, more thankfulness, more gratitude. Because we've learned what we can control and what we cannot in a deeper way. We've learned more about who God is and who we truly are. We're not stuck in illusions of what's true and what's not anymore. That's a gift. It's actually a gift. It can be a painful gift at first. But what God's doing in that is he's shaping you for greater leadership. So every opportunity you have to serve someone is an opportunity to die to yourself a little more. Every opportunity you have to walk through painful seasons of humiliation, pain, loss, suffering is an opportunity to increase your capacity to lead in God's kingdom. 
Do you ever think about that? That the pain in obedience to Jesus, hear me, because sometimes pain gets wasted, but when you walk through pain in obedience to Jesus, it's directly connected to your ability to lead better, lead greater in the next season. But when you, now how many of you, you've had terrible leaders, but how many of you have ever led with someone? I hope, I hope most of you have experiences. Been under someone's leadership, had a boss that was just the most gracious person. They didn't let you walk all over them. You still had to do your job. But they were so gracious and loving and extended mercy and kindness. And if you haven't, Jesus is the leader you've been looking for. Jesus has been there. He came not to be served, but to serve. He has already drinking from, drank from the cup, drinking. Drank from the cup. And now he's inviting you to drink. So walking through humility, it's going to require reflection. It's going to require that we have, what is the pain? What is the loss that I'm dealing with? What, what ha- needs to happen in my life? Uh, what do I need to pay attention to? So this is from Pastor Rich Velotis. I just adapted these questions, but these are so helpful. I have seven questions here for walking in humility. Take a picture on your phone, write it down, whatever, if these are helpful for you. But I found these so helpful. So these are seven questions for you. Am I living in the truth? Are there any areas in my life where I'm not living with integrity? Number two, do I have relationships that help me face my dark side? We all have a dark side. A lot of times, our greatest strength is also our source of our greatest weakness. Number three, am I submitting myself to authority willingly, joyfully, and transparently? Now hear me with this. We're talking about healthy leadership. We're not talking about an unsafe leadership environment. And we're assuming everyone's doing the same thing here. But am I submitting myself to authority willingly, joyfully, and transparently? Next, where do I feel entitled? Where do I feel like I should be getting this? Or why am I not getting what I want here? Where do I feel entitled? Next, what are the limits, our time, energy, power, money? What are the limits that I am currently violating? We're humans. We're not infinite. We all have limits. We have limits to our time, our money, our power, the amount of energy we have. What limits are you violating in your life right now? Next. Do I have seasons of therapy to grow in self-awareness? Hugely important. Hugely important. Finally, if I'm married, does my spouse have space to share with trusted community how things really are at home? Ah! For all the married people. But seriously, these seven questions have been really, really helpful for me in different moments, in different seasons. But questions like this help us reflect on, am I actually walking in the humility that Christ is inviting me into? Am I taking the opportunity, yes, opportunity, to drink from that bitter cup of suffering that's in front of me right now? 
Where am I missing that? Where, where am I seeking to be served instead of to serve? Where am I trying to get my needs met instead of seeking to meet the needs of others? We're going to wrap up here in just a minute, but as we, as we close this part here about embracing humiliation, I, I think it's important for us to uh, remember that this is a journey. We don't figure it all out overnight. This is a process. So for some of you, this might be brand new. For some of you, you've got some familiarity. You've been talking about these. You've been working through little bits of this. Maybe you've got different language around it. But for some of you, maybe this is brand new and you're going like, I've got to be humiliated? Listen, it's not other people humiliating you. That might happen in in, in obedience to Jesus, but really it's about being obedient to Jesus and allowing what comes in that. Also, recognizing that sometimes things will just happen in your life and it had nothing to do with whether you were obedient or not. A lot of times Christians... uh, realize that they actually believe in karma, even though that's not biblical, because they go, but I didn't do anything wrong. Job said the same thing. I'm righteous. I didn't do anything. Yeah, well, it has nothing to do with that. The, the, the pain and the trials that we go through in life sometimes is that they're random. There's chaos involved. There's trial. But Jesus says you don't have to waste a single moment of pain and suffering. It can all be used for good. It can all be used for good. I love what Jesus did in in, in the the Gospel of John. We'll we'll go to communion after this. But um, Jesus was about to be betrayed Shortly after, actually, the story that we just read today, Jesus is about to be betrayed, and they're in the upper room, and they had just taken communion, and it says that Jesus got up and took off his outer garment, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, feet back then were always dirty. You didn't have your Jordan airs back then, unfortunately. There's no such thing as preachers and sneakers. Uh, They wore sandals or nothing, and baths were not a regular occurrence. So I want you to just picture that, get that imagination going. These are some beautiful feet we're talking about here. Normally, a slave would wash the feet. Someone who wasn't really important washed the feet is the point. Someone who really was of no consequence and you'd forget they were even there washed the feet. People really believed that that was beneath them, especially for a rabbi or a teacher like Jesus. You didn't do that. That was unclean. Jesus did not consider for a second that washing his disciples' feet was beneath him. He didn't consider for a second that it was an issue. He was not concerned in the least that it would be humiliating socially for him. And then John says this really amazing thing as Jesus is going to wash feet. He says, because he knew that the Father had given him all things. He took off his garment and washed all the toe cheese and dirt off his... We're being honest here, right? 
Because he knew, think about this, I'm about to be handed over heaven and earth in my obedience to my father through my death and resurrection. And what's the next thing he does? I'm going to just wash all that grimy mud and dirt that's been building up on these guys' feet. It's not the first thing we would think of. Let's start an online campaign. Let's get my name out there. Let's go. That's not leadership in Jesus' kingdom. If this is who I am in Christ, it's time to wash feet or stack chairs or wash toilets or help that neighbor or do that inconvenient thing with your coworker that's going to serve them well. When we walk in the humility of Jesus, we get to influence like Jesus. That's our call. Serve, not to be served. And through that comes influence, comes authority, comes power, comes leadership. But it's done out of the purity of love and serving others. And so we're going to remember that now, that Jesus came to serve and not be served as we take communion. If the worship team wants to come up, and if anyone did not get uh, some uh, communion, you could just uh, put your hand up and one of our connectors will make sure you get that right now. But we're going to take communion and then we're going to worship. And I just want you to think about this for a minute. That the Son of Man came not to serve, excuse me, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. To enter into our world enter into our space to drink from a bitter cup of suffering, to wash grimy feet, to do what didn't make sense according to our models of power and authority and influence and leadership. But he did what made sense in his kingdom. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It is a kingdom that will have no end. It is a kingdom of humble love and service towards others entering into their world and bring bringing the transforming light of God so on that night before he washed that those feet he took bread and he broke it giving his own body said, this is my body, giving of my very flesh and bone to you. Eat this. Whenever you eat it, remember me. And then he took a cup, a cup of wine, and he said, this cup represents cup of my new covenant. It's a covenant of my new kingdom. This is the kingdom built on his way of leadership. It represents his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, whenever you take the bread and drink the cup, 
proclaiming and remembering his death until he returns. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me? Let's worship our King. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.